Hello and welcome to the Colts Cover 2 podcast. I am Joel A. Erickson. I am joined, as always, by Nate Atkins. It is a day after the NFL draft ended. The Colts drafted 12 players uh, in, in the 2023 draft. It's an enormous class that they put together. They have, uh, obviously, the, the, the big pick and the most important pick is Florida quarterback Anthony Richardson. And like we're going to do from now until, I guess, into the foreseeable future, the, the podcast is going to start with Anthony Richardson. I think that's probably the norm for a while now. Um, but we we heard from from Chris Ballard and Shane Steichen on the night of the pick. On Saturday, we got to hear from some of the scouts. Uh, I, I say scouts. They're not area scouts anymore. They've moved up the line. But Ed Dodds and Morocco Brown. Jamie Moore, those these guys are all scouts in terms of um, in terms of their background. Like that that's their background is how they got to these positions, is is that they're, they're scouts by scouts at heart. And we got to hear hear their thoughts on Anthony Richardson and what what they thought. Uh, I think I think some of the stuff we heard there is is interesting to to talk about. I think maybe the first thing, and a lot Jim Ursay, as always, is gonna drive a lot of this. I think maybe the first thing and the most interesting thing. Is that Ursay said that he thinks if the Colts had not taken Anthony Richardson, and he, he said that he thought they might have taken him at number one if they had the if they had that pick. Uh, he called him three hours before the draft to uh, just to talk to him and see if anybody else was talking to him. Um, so they they Anthony Richardson was their guy. He said if they did not take Anthony, if they didn't have Anthony Richardson available, that they would have taken Will Levis, uh, which is interesting. Uh, frankly, almost a little surprising to me uh, that they said that. He said we would have had to discuss it. We'd had a trade. It would have, the discussion would have been either trade down or take Will Levis. He said, I think we would have taken Will Levis. Um, I, I would be interested to find out. I'd be interested to find out if uh, Chris Ballard agrees. Uh, yeah. With that assessment of what they would have done, Jim Irsay obviously wanted a young, talented quarterback. He said we liked him, um, but but we also had this information now that that Levis didn't go again until the second pick of the third of the second round, and so that makes me wonder: would it have been both? Would it have been both trade down and Will Levis? Would they have uh, taken traded down, taken a defensive player, and then maybe tried to come back up for Will Levis uh, on? on friday the way that tennessee did you know jumping back up the board just an interesting thing to think about in terms of what happens if anthony richardson's not on the board yeah for sure and this is what's so interesting about the draft every year is that we don't fully know uh the backstory of like these alternate realities so like if there is a world where if Anthony Richardson did go to at number three and a different team had traded up and taken him and Will Levis at number four, this entire narrative about Will Levis disappears. He's the number four pick in the draft. And there is no narrative about what the NFL valued him as because one team took him at number four. And that could be true for any pick in this draft where like maybe the rest of the teams would not have taken a guy, but the team that wanted him did. But now what we know is that, you know, there's teams like the Titans ended up with Will Levis, but they did not value him as a first rounder. They passed on him once, took him in the second round. So he was mostly valued by the league as a second rounder. And it would be very interesting to see how Chris Ballard felt about that. He said that uh, they considered 
they would have considered a trade down or or another position. Uh, but again, like it's where it seems like they're in a very interesting spot playing with fire in that moment is that, you know, where Chris Ballard loves to play value of the board, loves to not, you know, force a move up, has never traded up in the first round. He's thinking in that in that way. And then Jim Irsay is just so beaten down by the quarterback carousel. And the first thing he said when he sat down with us was that it's been four years since Andrew Luck hung it up. And he's been four years that he's been thinking about getting a young quarterback. And we saw how last year played out where he forced a young quarterback onto the field in the middle of the season. I, I just think at some point it's very likely that Jim Irsay may have forced a move there. Maybe it could have come in a trade back, but still, I just don't think they would have been able to not take a quarterback this year. And so in that scenario, if it's not Will Levis, I mean, the only other real option was Hendon Hooker, who went in the third round, as far as getting a, a quarterback that you want to become your starter. This is just feeds back to what we were saying the night of it, which is this worked out very well for the Colts. Obviously, they got Anthony Richardson. They didn't have to move up. They were able to make 12 picks, but they played with a lot of fire doing it that way. And I have a feeling, this is just a sense, that if it wasn't Houston trading up to number three, and I think Houston had to pay a lot to do it, which indicates that there was competition for that pick, I think we may have seen the, the Tennessee Titans go up and do that. Because, again, we know that they didn't value Will Levis as a first-rounder. There's a lot of talk about how much they wanted quarterback. There was uh, their GM, Rand Carthon, came from San Francisco, where they drafted Trey Lance with a trade-up, who is very similar as a prospect to Anthony Richardson. And the issue with Trey Lance is he isn't he didn't get on the field, and, uh, and, and I think it hurt him not playing. So this could have been a way to get a similar prospect and do it differently. <laughs> this could have gone a very bad way for the Colts if, if Anthony Richardson was their guy. And they've said – they would take him at number one. So they're telling us he was, uh, you know, and then you, you contrast that with Will Levis falling to the second round. Um, that was a big risk that they took right there. And so they're very happy with the way it played out because, you know, all the scouts raved about the picks they made. They got to make 11 more picks. But this was an example of where, like, I guess the fortune of the quarterback carousel had spun back in the favor of the Colts after some very bad luck over the past few years. Sorry to make a pun. But, uh, you know, water, I guess, kind of leveled in this draft, but they they played with fire for sure. It's weird. It's weird to me that they were willing to. That they were willing to allow uh, somebody else to, to do something with with the third pick. Um, Morocco Brown did say that he thought that or that he felt like they had some intel, but while also saying, like, you just never know. You never know if someone's not saying anything. Um. But it just it just seems to me to be a risky play. And we know they were in on Richardson because Jim Mercer called Anthony Richardson three hours before the start of the draft to ask him if other teams had been calling if uh, and tell him that this is probably headed in that direction uh, as long as he's still on the board, which that to me that indicates that he was the Colts target. Uh, I, I just don't. It ended up working out for them. I mean, they got them at the fourth pick. They Their intel ended up being okay. But, man, if, if it's my guy at the quarterback position, I, I don't know if I would have waited around, especially since Ursay also said that they were a little surprised that C.J. Stroud came off the board. I think I think the Colts were expecting what a lot of 
National Writers and National Analysts was expecting, which was they they thought that 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 third pick, the bidding war, might be for C.J. Stroud because the Texans had you taken him at two. That shows you the danger in trusting Intel. Is that what Chris Ballard said in the last time we talked to him before the draft was? Nobody has any idea how those first three picks are going to go. So yep. they were gambling. And, and that's why Chris also, the first thing he said when they made the pick for Anthony Richardson was that they had very nervous moments in the draft room waiting for that because I think they probably got word that there's a trade happening. And who knows, they may have inquired on it and realized just how much Houston was willing to pay, like a 2024 first that could be very high. Uh, but that, yeah, it, it, it's just – it. It was a lot more than I would have risked for uh, for the quarterback I wanted, but I do think that there's a chance where uh, that they they valued Will Levis higher than the, the rest of the teams did. That there's absolutely a world where that's true. Chris Ballard also said that you know the amount of time they spent with these guys was indicative of how they liked all of them. That they would not have spent that kind of time in the uh, you know the the full day workouts, uh, private workouts with them if they didn't think that they had a chance to be that pick. So it really feels like Chris Ballard looked at it. Really, I should say all of them looked at it, and there were a couple of options. Anthony was their favorite option of those remaining. Obviously, they took him, but uh, I don't think he was the only option in their mind. If he was, then that's very, very interesting. Um, one of the other things that came out yesterday in these conversations that we had with with Ursay and some of the other scouts was that, that just and Chris Ballard hinted at this, but that you, you know the team understands that in drafting Richardson that, that that there's some risk involved there. I think that came out in a couple of different ways. You know, the first one was Ballard acknowledging that the accuracy is an issue. I, I at least as 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 they saw on tape, you know. They that's something that has been debated, you know, actual completion percentage versus expected target, that kind of thing. But but Ballard acknowledged he said it's a fair assessment to say that there's some accuracy stuff. Um, it was a big enough issue for Ed Dodds that he asked uh, Richardson, you know, hey, why is it that when you're in the pocket and you're clear and no one's there, you miss one. And then the next snap I watch you and you're you're in the middle of traffic and you're dodging guys and your body's out of whack and you put it right on the money um ursay too i think also acknowledged that the uh the possibility that richardson might not work out the way the colts were hoping by saying you know he's not peyton manning he's not andrew luck as a prospect all four of the guys we had stuff we had to talk through and work through that there's an acknowledgement there that that he's not a perfect prospect which um most I think most people know, but towards the end, I thought that Anthony Richardson got so much credit for all of his skills that he, at least in Indianapolis, he became uh, talked about almost as, as a no-risk prospect. The, the Colts don't seem to think that. Now, flip side of that is the Colts took him because of what his ceiling can be. You know, that's the first thing Chris Ballard said before there was even a question was, you know, we like him because of what he can be. Um, but it, it was it was the first time that we'd heard uh, some trepidation on the point of the Colts and some stuff that they had to get over in the draft process. That's what I love about uh, getting the chance to talk to the scouts after is you get a little bit of a window into what those draft room conversations are like, not just on draft day, but for months and for some of them going back into last season. 
this is kind of how it goes is there's back and forth. And that's not just because, you know, you have multiple people who don't always agree. It's also like you need that kind of healthy tension, uh, that that discourse. Otherwise, if you are not kind of looking ever looking at downsides, if you're never looking at how it could go wrong, uh, that can lead you to some rough picks that could lead you to draft a guy like Zach Wilson off of a pro day throw and, and just assume it's going to work out uh, and, and kind of miss a lot of the, the, the potential risks. It's like Bill Polian had a, had a line that he would always say to his scouts, which is you've got to identify that if this guy's going to fail, how's he going to fail? And you have to have that conversation and understand if you're the right fit to avoid that pitfall. So I, I liked how they laid that out. And I just, I appreciated the honesty that, you know, that, because I honestly, I, I came at this very similar to how Ed Dodds did, where at the first early on, I just found it surprising that a, a player with 13 starts and the, the production that Anthony Richardson had could be in a conversation, you know, in a draft with Bryce Young and CJ Stroud as accomplished as they were. And history kind of backed that up. Nobody with Anthony's uh, production and experience has ever succeeded in the passing era. And then you realize, like, once you dive more into it, there's just so many ways to explain kind of why it is the way it is, why he didn't get on the field earlier, why he wasn't as polished. You know, so when I went down to Florida at the pro day, which is, again, this is how they experienced it. Morocco spent a lot of time down there. Uh, and then others went down, went down there as well. You really started to get an understanding of any of the, the pitfalls you had with Anthony. Uh, they could be explained by circumstance or youth and lack of reps. Uh, you know, you, you brought up how he um, Dodds asked him about why he misses throws, easy throws and no one's around him. And he talked about how many he's overthinking his mechanics. He's had so many people in his ear. And I think what got overlooked with Anthony from uh, the people who were kind of not in on him is just the effects of that coaching change from Dan Mullen to Billy Napier. The end of the Dan Mullen era was just incredibly ugly. A lot of players transferring out in disciplinary issues. There's no kind of quarterback track development and then they flip uh, systems to a very complicated one under Billy Napier that's very built heavily on pre-snap uh, and, and it just it overloads a guy who all of a sudden only had 13 uh, 12 starts last year to figure figure out who he is as a player in the best conference in college football before they've recruited the wide receivers to catch up to all that they were trying to do in the passing game it's, it's all to say that the, the it's a lot of excuses you end up making for Anthony, but I think they're valid excuses. And what you're ultimately trying to figure out with him is you're scouting the person as well as, you know, the upside of the traits and understanding like, is this guy going to take the steps to make these improvements? And do we have the environment to finally give him what he's never had, which is a stable growth environment, the same kind of quarterback voices, the same plan, the same sort of scheme, same playbook, can we build that out over any length of time that he's never gotten when he's only, you know, now he's only 20 years old. So when they came through on all of that and, and talked this all through, that's where I think he became the number one player for them at, at that, uh, at that point. Yeah. You know, um, one of the other things that was interesting just in terms of what Ursay said was that he had a long conversation with Shane Steichen or Ur kind of views his role in a non um, in, we, have, we have to take the end of last year out of this because for two or three months last year, it was much more involved than he has been in the past. Um, but 
in general, Ursay has looked at himself as the person who's supposed to test his coach and his uh, general manager's thinking. He's supposed to push back on them and, and see what they're thinking and see if he agrees. Um, you know, he's he's kind of said that he's done that and not strongly enough or, or, or could have taken over and didn't at times. Like Carson Wentz thing is the most obvious one. But he said he, he kind of gave us a window into that. And he said that there was there was a real uh, quest conversation he had with Shane Steichen where he said, Okay, can this guy be a good elite passer in the NFL? Uh, and why do you think he can? Um, and, and Steichen was was pretty confident, you know. So uh, I I thought that that was I thought that was interesting. It was interesting to get not just the positives because you get a lot of positives with with rookies and draft classes and stuff after they have. Um, after they've been picked, it's not necessarily where you're going to get like a, hey, we think this guy can't do this or can't do that. Uh, it was nice to know with a prospect like Richardson, just, you know, where where some of the fault lines were and why they were unsure and what they had to do to get on board. Yeah, and it it helps with this sort of situation where uh, Jim Irsay has experienced bringing in a rookie quarterback in the past, and it hasn't always been wonderful. I mean, obviously, Andrew Luck had a great first year, took a team to the playoffs, and made the Pro Bowl. But we know Peyton Manning did not have that same success and set a rookie record for interceptions. And then what he eventually became, it helps when Jim Irsay has sort of moments in history, either especially if they're with his own team, to look back to, uh, to kind of center him on this. And so because because we know how Jim Irsay can be sometimes he can speak in hyperbole and he can uh, he can sell hope in a way that you know the team might not be ready for the player might not be ready for just he a can, year ago well he can paint himself into a corner you know yeah last like year he, last year at the owners meetings he talked about his desperation to beat Tennessee um, and it was sort of a window into where his mind was in terms of what was to come in terms of benching Matt Ryan before the coaching staff was ready, getting rid of Frank Reich before Chris Ballard and Pete, uh, you know, hiring Jeff Saturday, even though uh, front office members like high ranking front office members didn't think that was the right way. All of that was kind of hinted at with his frustration at what they them not being able to win the division title. Um, and it was maybe foreshadowing for what what was going to happen. So I didn't mean to interrupt, but there's 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 there is a. Ursay does not Ursay does not do smoke screens well. He he speaks what he thinks, and there's hints in there for what for what he thinks. And I think that that's that's a, an interesting piece of this. Yeah, and, and you know he he's a guy that's trying to create hope for everybody, and it does paint him in the corners. Also, where like it can create some mixed messaging when it doesn't go right. A year ago, we sat in his office and he talked about how Matt Ryan could be here three years, maybe four. Like he kept kind of adding years to that and it sold it. That that was a message to his entire franchise that we have our guy and it's not a stopgap. And then obviously that lasted half of a season. So well, I was always curious to see how he would kind of pre- present this one where Anthony Richardson, one of the most fascinating parts about the conversation is kind of when does he play? How early does he play? And just how willing are you to deal with growing pains and, um, it's going to be a process to get him. Like if you're if you're big on Anthony Richardson, which which they are, and uh, obviously it's it's 
a very popular pick across the league, but it's that's based very much on projection. It is a projection. It's a process to get him to make the accuracy jump of a guy like Jalen Hurts or Josh Allen and remembering that those guys as rookies were not great passers or even probably league average passers. It takes time. So it was an encouraging for Jim Irsay to speak along those lines a little bit. Of course, he did some things. He, he compared him to a superhero, but he did acknowledge that that was more about the kind of the combine testing and the, the athletic traits. And he said he had a conversation with Anthony that it's like, this is still a forward pass league and you've got to make that jump as a passer. It's not going to be enough just to be a runner. And yeah, he seemed to ultimately come around on it by Shane Steichen's, you know, sales pitch that, Hey, I've done this with Jalen Hurts. I think accuracy can be improved. And then understanding that that's, you got to let him go and do that. So they're putting a ton on Shane. That's really been their big bet was Shane Steichen coming in here and being able to take uh, traits, uh, high traits, high ceiling, but unpolished quarterback and help advance him as a passer and build an offense that accentuates his best strengths too. And uh, this draft played out, I thought, where they just kind of furthered that bet between Anthony at number one and then all the other picks that they made to sort of sort of fill this out where the roster has you know issues as far as what's developed and ready to rock on day one this year. Uh, a lot of experience questions with them, but if their coaching staff with Shane Steichen and every, you know, all the guys he brought in and some of the ones they brought back on defense, if they're as good as that they hope they are, then um, those are the leaps they're going to make to get. It's really a whole draft class of high relative athletic score guys, you know, closer to their ceiling. If they can do that, then then this will work out really well. Yeah, it it sounds like it sounds like Ursay is willing to have patience. He re- he's referenced many times. And really, not just yesterday, but he's mentioned many t- other times this offseason that Peyton Manning was three and thirteen as a rookie. Obviously, threw a ton of interceptions. They were six and ten uh, in two thousand one. Um, he's referenced a conversation at least twice that he had with Eddie DeBartolo, uh, where they the he said the Forty ers beat us pretty bad, but Eddie came up to him and said, uh, "Hey, you've got something there." That's that's really what he's looking for going forward, and I think it's important that he has that experience. Um, because to sort of tamp down the the impatience, because it's been a long time since this team was a contender and uh, a team that you talked about seriously as as one of the top of the AFC, and and Ursay desperately wants to get back to that. So uh, it's it's an important thing I think for him to um, understand that and know that going forward. Um, the rest of the roster, the rest of the picks, we can we can get into some of this stuff now. That the first thing I, w- I want to get to is that they they had 12 picks. I, I think that was necessary, given the depth issues that they had on this team. Um, if you if you went back and looked at the depth chart, I, I put one on anystar.com just based on who they had. Um, you know who they had with. Uh, who they had in terms of just on the roster before the draft, there there were some significant holes. The offensive line, the, the tackles is was essentially um, Braden Smith and Bernard Ryman. I mean, no, my apologies to Carter O'Donnell and, and Jordan Murray who've been around for a little bit, but they've never played an NFL game with the Colts. They just haven't really done a lot. It's it's hard to expect them to be a, a significant part of it. They they did draft a tackle. I, I think. I think some of those offensive line issues are still there. They didn't really draft a guard. They signed Emil Echior 
from Alabama as an undrafted free agent. You don't usually count on undrafted free agents to play significant depth pieces, but I think the offensive line still needs a free agent or two, um, probably two uh, experienced free agents just to be ready for whatever injuries hit. Injuries are going to hit on the offensive line. Colts had that one magical season a couple years ago where all of the starting offensive linemen played every game. It, it hasn't happened since then, and it rarely happens. And it, right now, even after that, you're still counting on some very young players, some very inexperienced players to step into those roles. So I think that there's still a hole there um, for sure. Yeah, and also not just depth on the offensive line. I think they need at least someone to come in and compete to start at right guard. Uh, it's the kind of thing last year, the issue I think they fell into was just how kind of easily they handed over a couple of starting spots on that offensive line without the competition, without the fallback options in case it didn't work. Once you saw it out there in training camp, uh, Danny Pinter really fell into a an issue when he was moving from center to right guard and it, it didn't pan out. And they didn't have options. So right now they have Will Fries at right guard. And I know uh, Tony Soprano Jr., the offensive line coach, said he's intrigued by Will Fries, but being intrigued is different than being sold and set. And uh, I just don't think after last season you could feel uh, sure about that. And it's risky when you have, you know, you've you have a rookie quarterback that you've got to be able to protect if you want to start developing his mechanics. And then also, you know, you're trying to get Jonathan Taylor back to being Jonathan Taylor and. Uh, so I think they absolutely need to look at at very least a veteran who, you know, whether it's a, you know, a Chris Reed type, Mark Lewinsky, some kind of guy who can come in and at least at least be a high level backup there, if not be the starter. Uh, so that was, I guess, the only real, you know, as you look through, they made 12 picks. So it's hard to not, you know, address your needs when you make that many. But that was the one spot I thought guard specifically that they left open because they drafted two linemen, Blake Freeland and the fourth round and uh jake witt in the seventh round both of those guys are tackles so uh that's the kind of the work i think they need to do in the offensive line and jake witt jake witt is admittedly by chris ballard from chris ballard's mouth that's he said that's a swing you know that they're they're betting on on traits and length He's, he hasn't really played tackle very much he's super raw they, they're just getting him in the building it sounded like that ideally um, he would be a he would have been an undrafted free agent, but they didn't think that they well they didn't want to get into the bidding war that goes on sometimes um, after the draft. You know they gave a hundred thousand dollar guarantee, which I think ranked fifteenth in the league, fifteenth or sixteenth in the league um, to to linebacker Donovan Eugene. They didn't want to do that, and they had the extra pick because they've been trading down trading down three times, picked up three extra picks. And so they just used a pick on Jack Witt. But if he's that raw, it's much more likely that he ends up on the practice squad at the end of training camp than he does on the roster or that he's able to help right away. So that's that's another piece of this, too. That It's really just one draft pick that you would, based on where they were picked and what the team visioned for, you would expect to be on the roster on the first 53-man roster when the season opens. Yeah, their draft in general – felt very uh, kind of long-ranging drive for the long-term, which is always kind of how Chris Ballard has done this. But uh, especially, obviously, Anthony Richardson is projection in nature. But kind of the way they just did the whole approach, I thought, had more of that feel of 
like them, them acknowledging a little bit more that this is going to be a rebuild. It's going to be a process. It's naturally a process with Anthony Richardson. So they trade down twice in the second round to take Julius Brents. He's, I think he's one that you can expect to step in pretty early, but he does have a wrist injury that is going to affect him probably until training camp. Um, Josh Downs in the third round, that, that feels like a pretty ready-made player. They thought he would go earlier. He's super productive, but uh, you, you get kind of beyond that. You know, this was one of the most athletic classes you'll ever see as far as relative athletic score, uh, kind of what they're always about. But some of these guys, are it's just big-time projections. So like in the fourth round, they took uh, Adetamiwa uh, at a Northwestern. I, I'm not quite up to speed on his last name yet, but I'm learning it. At a time um, at a bar, eh? Yes. He, uh, <laughs> again, like he is one, one of the best 40 times you'll ever see for a defensive lineman. They want him, he, he seems to want to play three tech. They see him that way, but he's almost never played it. He played it at the senior bowl and they played it some sub packages at Northwestern, but they've got to develop that. Other guys like Darius Rush, the corner out of South Carolina in the fifth round, you know, he's converted from wide receiver, kind of got a late start. Uh, you just see this kind of again and again, uh, you know, Titus Leo, obviously the, the, the edge at a Wagner, that's another, that's similar to Jake Witt in terms of real swing project on a very athletically talented player, but small level of competition. And, um, and he's only played that position for two years now. So all of this kind of comes off as, you know, this, this was a much more long ranging draft this, which is, I, I think what they needed, but kind of they had set they they played it both ways up until the draft talking about uh, both that they want to have patience but that with a rookie quarterback but that you know they weren't rebuilding and that you know they they decided to keep DeForest Buckner but they traded Stephon Gilmore they felt like kind of caught in the middle but this draft very much looks to me more like um, while it's not maybe a tear it down rebuild uh, they're very much understanding that this is this is a team they're going to have to build over the next couple of years because these are all high ceiling, high traits draft picks, but they wouldn't have made it to the fourth, fifth, sixth and seventh round if they were already those kind of players. They've got to get there and some of it they just have to see once they get into camp, see how they transition, see what their timeline is like, because we saw this last year with Nick Cross. Uh, they traded up into the third round, took a very young but very toolsy player that they have hopes for, you know, in the long term. But he wasn't ready to play last year. He just wasn't the communicator. He wasn't just wasn't there ready for all the demands of that position. So I feel like they took a lot more, you know, more picks like a Nick Cross type, you know, in the later rounds in this draft, which tells you it's a little bit more of a long term vision. Um. Yeah, and they just their depth was so bad. It just it just wasn't very good. Wasn't good last year. It hasn't they haven't done they didn't do a lot in free agency. Um let's let's talk about some of the other positions. One of the positions that they did address, uh one of the positions that they did address is corner. You've already referenced this. Juju Brand, Starius Rush, Jalen Jones. They they drafted three guys. They let they traded away Stefan Gilmore. That's a thousand snaps. Uh, more than a thousand snaps, actually, from last year. Good snaps, probably one of the better players on the roster. Uh, and then they also let Brandon Faison, who struggled it, but but still ultimately played more than 400 snaps. Uh, they let him leave and go back to Las Vegas in free agency. Um, and there was a significant need there, especially for players that fit Gus Bradley's style. 
you know, Gus Bradley, I was kind of, ch- we were kind of chuckling about this last night is trying to try to make the case to us that it doesn't matter. doesn't bother him that much. If the corner is not very tall, um, he's, he, you know, I, we like tall guys. Yeah. But I also like short area quickness. Well, the Colts drafted three guys who are six, two. <laughs> um, so I think they still like guys who are tall. Now I will say, uh, well, I'm well. I'm kind of joking about what Bradley said. He did also say that the ideal player is somebody who is both tall and can move in that short area quickness type of way. But they can fit. yeah, they they have players now who fit their prototype, who fit their mold, what the defensive staff believes in. Now, I think any Colts fan uh, who's watched Chris Ballard draft some knows that you can't expect these guys to be starters right away. Rocky Sin. Quincy Wilson never really figured it out. Rocky Sin took some time to figure it out. I don't necessarily know that they're going to add a corner in free agency. I think if you were trying to, uh, if you were trying to compete for the division, you'd have to. Um, I think you still could in terms of having somebody like that. But the fact that they have those three corners makes me wonder if they're willing to to ride with Kenny Moore, Isaiah Rogers, Dallas Flowers, and these young guys. Yeah, I'm interested to see how it plays out because there are good cornerbacks of this sort of style in free agency. Rocky Sin is one of those. There's also uh, Marcus Peters, Kill Griffin, guys like that. And you could see a world where they step in and that's your number one outside corner. And then you have sort of like a Juju Brents, Isaiah Rogers combination on the other side of the field, which is what they you know, tried to form last year with with Isaiah and Brandon Faison. And it didn't always work out. Um, but they could also just kind of lean into the youth movement there too, because Juju Brents is going to be back by, you know, by training camp. And he just in terms of his, uh, his experience and the level he played at last year at Kansas state, I think you can feel comfortable with him being on the field. Now, do they, they're not going to have, if they take this route, really any route, they're not going to have a Stephon Gilmore type of guy to put on a number one wide receiver. It's going to be, I don't know if it's a weakness, but it's probably not going to be the strength uh, of this team is the way that they cover. So there, but, but there is a value to getting experience for these guys and also kind of letting the competition play out. It was interesting to me that they spent two day three picks on very similar cornerbacks in uh, Darius Rush out of South Carolina, Jalen Jones out of Texas A&M. Because I think that's sort of an acknowledgement that they have both future needs where, you know, Isaiah Rogers and, and Kenny Moore are going to hit free agency in a year, but also that competition sometimes is just what you need in camp. And you don't always know, you know, who's going to rise up. I think last year, I think back to last year when they took Nick Cross third round, and there was a lot of excitement for that. But they also spent a seventh round pick on Rodney Thomas the second. And nobody thought at that time that this player out of Yale was – uh, was uh, driving the seventh round was going to be something. But when he came in as a 25-year-old and he could do the communication and think fast, and then once they got into the preseason games and all of a sudden his tackling was really flashy in those preseason games, they realized, like, this guy can play. This guy can get on the field as a free safety. They had injury to Julian Blackman. All of a sudden he's a guy that played, you know, started most of the season there. They you, There's no way they could have gone into that draft thinking, yeah, we'll just wait to the seventh round to draft our – a uh, guy who could start at free safety, but that can happen when competition kind of kind of rises in in training camp. So I have a feeling that like Darius Rush and Jalen Jones, the 
the hope is that maybe one of those guys plays his way into being sort of a rotational, uh, you know, number three or four cornerback. Uh, Obviously it could also work out where neither one's quite ready. It's a very difficult position, but I just, it it was interesting to double dip in that same range of the draft because it, it felt like, it felt like a lot of these picks the nine picks on, on day three, which is just incredible. It played into what Chris Ballard has talked about where, they want to add competition, and they felt like they didn't handle expectation very well last year. And I wonder if part of that was some of the depth spots on that team last year, looking back, and even some of a couple of the starting spots, there, there just weren't enough guys in the mix for them. We've already brought up right guard as one of the starting spots. They're just That was too much of an easily handed position to somebody. Uh, they, they need a little bit more of those situations where a Rodney Thomas has that door cracked where he could – make enough plays in in uh in preseason games and also kind of light a fire behind somebody and some of the picks that they made felt like that like you think evan hole out of northwestern the running back i see him competing with Deion jackson and one of those guys is going to be that receiving back i see a guy like will mallory out of, of the tight end out of miami built very much like kylan granson uh so it'll just be interesting to see how it plays out but they they seem to add a lot of guys that knowing that like they don't have a role for all these guys this year but they have a role for the best of them they can make room if they need to because like you said this team needs a lot of depth yeah some of those guys are going to be put into what looks like roster battles like i think will mallory just given the presence of delani woods is is in a roster battle right away as as a receiving tight end um it did sound like steichen really likes him jamie moore has known him for a really long time uh, and he was the scout that, that kind of led them to him. But it, um, was it, I think Chris Ballard said that, you know, when they came up on the clock and Ballard was still there, when it, was it fifth round? Is he a fifth rounder? Well, Mallory, yeah, fifth round. Um, it's, it's hard. They made so many picks. It's hard to remember where guys got picked. Um, but, yeah, that was that was uh, something where he looked, where Steichen looked at him and goes, hey, this guy can, I think this guy can really play. Um, so obviously they they liked that with him, um, but it just just the numbers that they have the tight end position, and before everyone says just get rid of Moali Cox, well, if the Eagles or if the Colts want a blocker at that position, an inline blocker, Ali Cox is the only proven one right now. You know that you was that's what kept so Jelani young. Woods off the that's what kept Jelani Woods off the field last year. You know, yeah. Uh, that's, that's not Granson's game. Um, and it doesn't sound like it's Mallory's game either. So, uh, Andrew Ogletree would be, would be the one wild card. He's coming off of an ACL. So, you know, that's, that's, there's competition at that spot. Evan Hall is the same way. You know, Deion Jackson, after Naheem Hines was traded, had a, had a game where he caught more than 10 passes. He, he had several pass catching type things, sort of like Evan Hall. I think those guys are going to end up competing, even though Hall's a a fifth-round pick, too. So a lot of these late-round picks are going to have to kind of fight for their roster spot, I think. Yeah, yeah, you see clear paths for some of them than others. A guy like Daniel Scott, the safety out of Cal, very much feels like a special teams type of pick. They needed needed somebody to kind of step in on, on some coverage levels, and he has that background, and, you know, that's going to be his way because... Um, they kind of have, you know, they have other safeties that they're more invested in, but he, he's got a route on special teams and that's going to ultimately play into it as it always does. Like what can Evan Hull, what can Jalen Jones, 
uh, Darius Rush, guys like that, what can they add on teams to sort of give them something they can contribute as a rookie if it plays out to where they uh, they don't have maybe that playing time on offense or defense. But, you know, it'll just be interesting to see how it plays out. You, you see a guy like Titus Leo, the edge out of Wagner. To me, he feels like the Ben Banigou replacement where uh, they have a set number of guys at the top of the defensive ed depth chart uh, with Pay and Dio Dengbo and Samson Ebukam and Taekwon Lewis, but you run out of guys sometimes. And also, you know, you just want to develop the pipelines there uh, with, with a guy who's, you know, it's ironic. His name's Titus Leo and he's built like a Leo, like 243 pounds, but uh, that's kind of a developmental pick. And then, you know, some of them I'm sure they'll end up on the practice squad and the expanded practice squad can kind of help with their approach here where they draft 12 guys. It's going to be hard to keep 12 draft picks on the roster. But also, like you said, their their depth was pretty concerning. And if they are really leaning into a bit more of a youth movement, long-term, not going for it this year sort of window, uh, that's where you, like, they can make room if they want, if they really want these guys on the roster. And they, like with, uh, the whole passing game around a, a young quarterback like Andy Richardson, the whole team could all of a sudden become this sort of situation where you're just, you got to live with some growing pains and some tough spots. And and I think cornerback, like you mentioned, is the best example of that, where if they don't, the, the moves that they make or don't make after the draft are going to tell us a lot uh, as far as do they want to go sign a guy like Rocky Sin and be set there, or do they want to live with the growing pains knowing that like this league will expose you at times at those positions it's the, the more this goes on we learn more and more about kind of their long-term vision but it does all make it it's interesting to square all that with the idea that you know DeForest Buckner is back here and um and, and he talked about he's, he's he doesn't want to rebuild and uh it'll just be kind of interesting to see how they play this maybe it's something in the middle of this where it's a younger team but it's uh maybe maybe they can surprise some people they do have some high-end players around all this youth. And uh, I guess we'll just kind of have to see what they can do with what they have. But it's a, it's getting to be a much younger roster. Yeah, yeah. Leo Leo is, like you mentioned, you, you kind of compared him to Ben Banigou. The, the, the big difference there is obviously that Leo was drafted in the sixth round and Ben Banigou was, was drafted in the second. Probably, probably Chris Ballard's worst pick, just in terms of lack of production. Um, yeah. You know, and, and so it's 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 a shot. You're taking a shot on a guy with some traits. Uh, based on everybody else you've drafted, he doesn't have to be the guy. Uh, he's, he might not have to play at all, um, if unless he can prove that he, unless he can prove himself on special teams, which is something that, frankly, Banigou never really did. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's an interesting class that way. Uh, We'll see where the undrafted free agents come in. I think there's still some opportunity. I mean, Ekior is kind of an obvious one. Cathedral product. Uh, played at Alabama. 40 starts at Alabama. And uh, and they they don't have a lot of depth there. So I think that's obviously a spot where where he could do it. You know, they, they gave a, a linebacker $100,000 in guarantees. That, that's, that will come down to special teams initially. But if the special teams are all good for – Guys like JoJo Doman and Grant uh, Grant Stroud, I think, is probably on the roster as a as a 
you know, I'd be surprised if he's not on it, given his history as a special teams guy. But, you know, some of these other guys, Jojo Doman, like, I, I think that they're going to have to, you know, fend off, uh, fend off Donovan routine, you know, hope I'm saying that right. Uh, because just because they, they like him and if they're all playing well on special teams, then you're going to have to, um, you're going to have to, you're going to have to make a decision based on something and you, you probably base it on d- defense at that point. So yeah, I, I think that that's, uh, it's pretty evident that they, they're going to have some battles there. I, I think they still need to sign some free agents, um, but they've got a class and, and ultimately, and we can, we can end here, but, Ultimately, the weird thing about this is they made 12 picks, and and if one of them is successful, if this if the first one is successful, it doesn't matter what happens to the other 11. And honestly, if the first one isn't successful, it also doesn't matter what happens with the other 11. Uh, the Colts need those guys. They need them to play big roles. They need them to develop. But ultimately, this draft is going to be remembered as the one they took Anthony Richardson on, either good or bad. That's That's the whole thing right now. And I think Colts fans understand that. Yeah, it's, you know, we finally got the quarterback swing. A big, big, big swing on Anthony Richardson's got all the upside in the world. Concerns, uh, growing pains are going to come. And you're exactly right. It's going to be defined by him because all these other picks, uh, their success or failure is going to feed into either that upside or downside. Where If they hit on Anthony Richardson and they find six more stars out of this group, then all of a sudden you <laughs> – you can get really excited about what this team could do uh, with these guys on rookie contracts. If they if they all fall short together, that's where I mean you could really see some things bottom out. But it's true too, where like there's no amount of successes after the first round that are going to make up for a whiff on that quarterback. This is the world they're finally choosing to live in. Where again, where they're defined by, uh, I mean they've always been defined by the success of the quarterback, but right now they're defined by his ability to hit that ceiling to become that guy, to become a real difference maker, uh, to actually, so, so that's where ceiling matters, not just becoming something, but becoming everything. And it's, it's just a fascinating conversation. You compare him to someone like, um, some of these other picks, like a, I don't know, like a Blake Freeland or like a, you know, a Darius Rush. If those guys hit their, just like become average players, they, that may be fine. It, it will not be fine at quarterback, but they also drafted a quarterback who, his 90th percentile outcome is better than just about any quarterback prospect you're going to see. So it's a big swing and it's just going to make this fascinating to cover from, you know, spring to training camp to through the season to really over the next three years, it's going to be just an absolutely fascinating window, a new kind of window for them. Uh, Really completely new, uh, at least, Go back a long time, the last time that they had a quarterback who's going to be a rookie who's not ready to be a star right away, but who has that upside, it's it's going to be a roller coaster that will be just a lot of fun to cover. It's There's not really much of a break here. The, the Colts will have, will have some veterans on uh, Wednesday, I believe, and then it's rookie minicamp this weekend. So um, I'm kind of looking forward to not, I mean, not only talking to Anthony Richardson, but also, I want to talk to Emilio Ekior and and maybe a couple of these other undrafted free agents and get a sense of of these guys and and who could make the roster. This is a franchise that has a long history of undrafted free agents making the roster. Uh, even some of the late round draft picks, 
too, just because I think that, you know, it's, it's, uh, we, we didn't, there were so many picks that we didn't necessarily get to spend as much time on all those guys as maybe you want to with draft picks. I mean, the other part of it is a couple of those fifth round picks happened right before Jim Irsay came in to talk about Anthony Richardson. So we'll have a chance to explore those guys more as it goes forward. A um, couple of storylines I'm interested in. I want, I want to talk to Gardner Minshew because um, yeah. he's been he's been training at least partially with with Anthony Richardson and and what it mean what it might mean for, to have a relationship with a veteran quarterback already in the building for for the rookie. Um, and, and just the 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 point that that he this guy's probably going to play right away. That both Ursay and and Steichen have said that they want him to play right away. It, if they're going to do that, and they got to get him ready, and so this, all this stuff that's happening right now is is pretty important. Yeah, and quick shout out to Joel for uh, being on top of so many of these UDFA signings. Uh, I'm shocked you had the energy to do that at the end of that draft. <laughs> that draft weekend was a monster. They make nine picks on day three, and there you are um, figuring out all the guys they're adding and then what their contracts are. So uh, it will be interesting to see those guys kind of. Kind of filter in because that's the part I I really have to catch up on is the undrafted guys. But there's always a couple of interesting options through that, and and yeah, just learning more about these other players that they've drafted here, where it was just so quick in and out of pick, write it up, talk to them on Zoom, hop out. But some of them have just incredibly interesting backstories. So while this is going to be all defined ultimately by the quarterback, and it's what I've like been living this entire spring is quarterback, quarterback, and it will still be a lot of that with Anthony Richardson. Uh, these other guys, it's it's still 11 other players who kind of got to see uh, some of their dreams come true by getting an opportunity in the NFL. And then we're going to get to see them out there on the field competing to, you know, make a team to potentially be a starter. There's, there's a lot of op- the upside of a team that is in this transition is opportunity to kind of steal some time and, and become something for a team that needs players so be really interesting to see just kind of who these guys are and how they are wired and and what they can accomplish when they're out there yep uh we'll be back midweek at some point doing our podcast uh the draft is over the colts have their players you have your quarterback in indianapolis now it's time to start seeing how the colts are planning to develop them Uh, for the colts cover two podcast i am joel erickson this has been nate atkins uh, keep your dial tuned to Indy Star. We'll keep we'll keep the stories coming.